Moving forward. That's the focus of this series that we're in right now. It's our hope that during this time uh, and during this series, we can gain some clear and focused direction for the days ahead. You know, you think about how to start a year off, and this has always been our practice. It's to come together to start the year, to get focused on the basics, focus on the mission and the vision. Of course, at the, at the center of it, at the heart of it, is a, is a biblical foundation and vision. So it's good for us to come together around these things. I think it's also important because it's easy to forget, right? I don't know about you, but I'm prone to forget things all the time. Like, you know, where are my keys? Where's my Bible? Where's my book? Where, where's this? Where's that? I forget. And then also I forget easily what life is all about and why I'm even alive and all that kind of stuff. Just in the midst of the madness of everyday life, I can easily forget some of those things. Am I the only one or is there anybody here that would join me in that? Yeah, I got a hand raised. Okay, yep, old school Baptist. We get a couple hands raised this morning already. See, that's good. All right, yeah, so it's easy to, to become, it's easy to be forgetful. It's easy to live life in a, in a purposeless way and for things to be disjointed. That's an exhausting way to live. It's a, it's a disorienting way to live. It's confusing. So it's our hope together that we can again recalibrate. We can again regalvanize with some focused direction uh, to, for the days ahead, together as the people of God. Because it's easy for us to lose our sense of purpose. It's easy for us to lose our sense of destiny as a church together. So we trust that this will help us move away from stagnancy and to stay focused in such a disjointed, disorienting time. Hopefully, it's an encouragement to you personally, but I know for sure our intention that this will give us some precision in a corporate sense as well. So our first week, Jeremy called us to our greatest duty and privilege. And if you remember what that is, it's simple. It was worship. It's our greatest end is to be worshiping God, right? As worshipers, we worship. We worship the Lord in spirit and in truth out of our hearts. And so we called each and every one of us to move forward in worship. Last week, Ethan uh, preached uh, from Matthew chapter 28. And what did he call us to? Moving forward in what? discipleship, right? To, to go, to teach, to baptize, to take the initiative to bring other people to faith in Christ or even a deeper sense of that walk. So it was a compelling call to invest in someone else, to move forward in discipleship, envisioning us to imagine what it would be like if all 90 members of Renovation Church invested in a gospel way in the life of someone else what kind of impact that would have. And today, we turn our attention to the third great task of the Christian church. The three tasks of the church are worship, discipleship, and last, evangelism. And so our call today is that we as a people and a church would move forward in evangelism. To be more specific... We're asking us to move forward as witnesses, our identity and task as witnesses. And so for this, we turn our attention to the Word of God. So open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. And if you've been around for a long time, you'll know that our very first series in the book 
at Renovation Church in September 2013 was a series in the book of Acts called To the Ends of the Earth. And so it's more than nostalgic. I think it's timely. Here we are in year eight, right? Talking about these very same things, reorienting, recalibrating, and going back to the opening chapter of the book of Acts. We're asking this question, considering this moment in redemptive history, considering what's going on in the narrative of the Bible, this is what we're asking this morning, as Jesus has something very specific to tell his disciples and to us today. He's, the question is this, what does Jesus tell his disciples they are to both be and do? given his ascension into heaven and his imminent return. What are they to be and do, given his ascension into heaven until he returns someday? And then we ask that question, what are the implications for us who hear these words today? Listen to what Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11 says. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him, Out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our God abides forever, and all God's people said, Amen, Amen. I think it's really important for us to know where we are in the story, where we are in the biblical story. We've been uh, watching Lord of the Rings, we even went to watch The Hobbit as a family, and you could imagine just like starting out of nowhere and like... Uh, Return of the King in the opening parts of the movie. I, I heard, by the way, they, they made a book out of these movies. <laughs> I say that every time just to show that I'm not a real big reader, uh, but I do like movies. Anyway, um, just a little side joke. Uh, so imagine just showing up in the middle of that without context. And so I wonder for us it would be helpful to just get a little bit of context, even in simple form, right? What has gone on? I don't want to assume that you know what's going on prior to these words. What has taken place in the lives of the disciples? Maybe even more amply put, what has taken place in human history? What has happened prior to Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11? Well, first, let me be very clear. The first thing you can say is that Jesus died sacrificially. I want you to hear that. Jesus died historically, sacrificially. It was a historic event that took place. Jesus died. They saw it with their eyes. The second thing is that he, on the third day, rose again from the dead victoriously. Historic fact. Visibly. They saw it. You know, we understand that some of them seeing them worshipped him and some of them doubted. They struggled with this 
reality? How could Jesus die and be alive? And that's exactly what we know has taken place thus far. And here he has now appeared to the disciples, appeared to the apostles and many others for about 40 days. He's appeared to them. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and Jesus was appearing to his disciples among others. We understand, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that this is, these historic events, at the heart of the good news, the heart of the gospel. As Paul says, I've delivered to you of first importance what I've also received. And he goes on to say in the beginning verse, uh, this is the gospel. I want you to be reminded of the gospel. And what does he emphasize there? Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again, and he appeared to many. This is what we understand to be the historic event that, that brings everything into focus in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who he is, what he's done in human history. That's the gospel, and they saw it with their eyes. So that's where we are in the story. They're seeing Jesus visibly. The resurrected Jesus, the one who had died, they see him. They had seen and experienced firsthand the main historical events associated with the gospel of Jesus. And so now, having witnessed all of this, they wonder, now what? Or maybe, uh, are we there yet? And if you're a parent, you know that question. Right? You're setting out on a journey, right? you're, you have a starting point and end point, and like 20 minutes into a six-hour trip, you're already starting to hear the question, are we there yet? Right? Getting so excited about the arrival of that destination, are we there yet? So the disciples are all excited. Is this it? Are we there yet? Jesus, what do they say? They say, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, given the significance of all the events and their understanding of what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah and their expectations of what the Messiah would do, they're like, have we arrived? Is this the moment that you're going to restore all of the former glory of Israel back to us? Are you going to give Rome the boot? Is this it? And simply put, (laughs) Jesus says no. It's an overly simplified answer, of course. No, no, not, you, you misunderstand uh, the, these implications of my rule and reign in my kingdom. Let me be very clear. He says, yes, you're right. I am already king. That's what happened when Jesus rose again, right? He was victorious over all of God's enemies. He ruled and reigned. He was king. Victorious. I already rule and reign over all, he's saying. I am about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Don't miss that. It's a very significant redemptive moment. The ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father, vindicated as the sufficient sacrifice and the victorious King. Don't miss that. Very significant in the book of Acts. And in the book of John where he says, it's to your benefit that I leave and go to the Father. It's very significant. He said, yes, I am about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. My kingdom has already come. 
So in this moment, 2021, understand this. Understand that Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. He sits enthroned. He's king. That's an encouraging, reassuring thing for the people of God. Already, right now, it's real. You know, Revelation 4 and 5, Jeremy preached that gives insight into reality. He sits on the throne. Let us be grateful for these things. But the consummation of my kingdom has not yet come. Already king, consummation of my kingdom, not yet come. Already, not yet. Do not concern yourselves with such things at this time, he's telling them. Just know that one day I will come, I will consummate my kingdom when I return. I'm leaving, I'm returning. And we see this is pointed out in verses 9 through 11, right? When he had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus, the same Jesus who died, who was buried, who rose, and who is ascending, that same Jesus, guess what? Will come in the same way as you saw him go. Jesus will return. He will consummate his kingdom. Let us be assured of that this morning as followers of him. But yet understand we live as the disciples do, in an already not yet redemptive moment. That's what they're experiencing in Acts chapter 1. And to be honest, it couldn't be more clear, that's exactly what we experience now 2,000 years later. We live in an already not yet redemptive moment. That's where we are today. We're living between the first coming and the second coming. We live in the reality of the kingdom, but we still wait for the full consummation of the kingdom. Already, not yet. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So the question becomes, if we are living in this already not yet moment, just like the disciples, and for the disciples are asking this question, well, what are we supposed to do now? What are we supposed to do? Who are we? What are we to do? And we see that Jesus gives us the focus of this answer in verse 8. In this already not yet moment, the disciples, the church, we are empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to Jesus everywhere until He returns. That's what I want you to see primarily this morning in this text. That in this already not yet moment, We are empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to Jesus everywhere until He returns. That's our call now. Renovation Church, every follower of Jesus, this is our moment. This is our time. and This is our calling. This is why we're here. This is what we do now. He says it in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
in these words, we hear a beautiful promise from Jesus. Such provision, such promise. All that we are, in all that we have been called to do, the Lord never leaves us to our own resources. Amen? All that we are and all that He's called us to do in the world, especially as we hear of talk about evangelism, especially as we talk about bearing witness to Him, what a wonderful thing to start with, with the provision and grace of Christ that He has provided all that we need, all the power that is absolutely necessary for our identity and our function as witnesses. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about right now? He understands. He understands our need. He understands our weakness. He understands our lacking. And yet he gives us a beautiful promise, like he always does. You will receive power. You will receive strength. You will have the divine provision that is necessary to be who I'm calling you to be and to do what I'm calling you to do. You will have no lack in this regard. I will provide for you everything you need. This highlights his provision. It highlights our need that without divine empowerment, we are simply not able to do what he's called us to do. Without God's empowerment, we cannot be available as the instruments of God in the world. We need God to serve God. So let that be a humbling reality for you. You don't have what it takes in and of yourself to do anything, let alone bear witness to the reality of Christ. You need God to bear witness to God. And the wonderful news right here is that Jesus, God, the Father has provided for you the very thing that you need, Himself. The indwelling power of His Spirit is His very presence within you, the very power that will enable you to do the very thing that you have been sent to do. It underscores need and provision. But I think it also underscores the work of the Spirit in evangelism. Don't miss that. I think this is going to give us a lot of assurance. Do you know you, as you're being called as witnesses, do you know that we, you, are not the only witnesses to Christ? That it's actually the very Spirit of God Himself that bears witness to Christ in us and through us. It's His work. Evangelism is the work of the Spirit. Evangelism is the work of God the Holy Spirit that is empowering the church. David Wells in his book, God the Evangelist, says this. He says clearly Luke's point in all this is that the Holy Spirit is the supreme resource for the church's life and mission. Only as the Spirit is poured out will there be convincing speech and convinced hearts. It is the work of the Spirit to do evangelism. It is the work of the Spirit to bear witness. We know that as well from John 15. The Spirit of truth, He will what? Bear witness 
about me. That's what Jesus said. He will bear witness about me. And then he goes on to say, and you also will bear witness. What an amazing cooperation in divine wisdom we see. That the Spirit will bear witness, and we also will bear witness. But man, what an encouraging thing to think about, that we're not left to our own devices, left to our own strength, left to our own ideas. But it is God Himself that has provided everything that we need. The Spirit of God Himself to do evangelism and to bear witness to the reality of Christ. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. What is meant by witness? What is meant by witness? To bear witness to something. A witness is someone who bears witness with their words, underline. Someone who bears witness with their words to a historic reality that they observed. It's a real generic sense. Someone who bears witness with their words to a historic reality, something that occurred that they observed. So at the very least, we can say today, as followers of Jesus, we can say that witnessing, we can say that evangelism is the proclamation of a historic saving reality about Jesus. So if you're asking, what is evangelism? What does it mean to bear witness? It means that you are proclaiming with your words, you're saying something with your words to point to a a historic saving reality about Jesus Christ. And yet it's important, right? Because while I'm no attorney, that's Jeremy's job. It's also important to know that anyone who bears witness must have some sort of credibility behind those words. So there's words, and then in the backdrop of the testimony, that which is said is a life that is lived. It's both word and deed. But primarily to bear witness is to say something, to speak something. But not to be devoid of action. Not to be devoid of a life that is behind as the backdrop that brings about credibility. So that's what the disciples were. They had seen and now they testify in their words and their deeds of a historic saving reality concerning the person of Christ. That's what witnessing is. That's what evangelism is at the very least they bore witness to Jesus by proclaiming a message about him who he was what he did and the implications of that and their life was a display of the transforming power of the kingdom of God in the world their actions that's why you see the disciples right Preaching and healing, preaching and healing, preaching and healing. Word and deed, word and deed, word and deed. And that's what we see in the church today. We bear witness to a historic saving reality about Jesus in all that we say, in all that we do. They were witnesses, 
We are witnesses. Now understand this. We have not visibly seen the resurrected Jesus. That's something unique to them. Something unique to the apostolic witness was that they physically, visibly saw all those events take place. We don't share that with them. But as we heard their testimony, as we heard it and that message testified, grabbed a hold of our heart, and the Spirit of God did His regenerative work in our hearts, doing what only He can do. And we called out in saving faith, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, Lord. Save me, Lord, from my sins. And we placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Now what happens is we've responded to this apostolic witness, and now we enter into our own identity, and we continue that witness-bearing role of the church in the world to a historic saving reality about Jesus. And we do this with our words, and we do this with our deeds. Witnesses witness. Right? We, we've heard that. Jeremy, maybe not so explicitly, but in talking about worship, he basically was saying, we are worshipers, so therefore we worship. Ethan, last week, disciples, disciple. And as we hear about our Christ-given identity today and the call that's attached to that, we are reminded of who we are and what we're called to do now in this world, in this already not yet redemptive moment in 2021 as Renovation Church in Syracuse, New York. We're witnesses, and we bear witness. With our words and our deeds... To a historic saving reality about Jesus Christ. That's what we are. That's what we're called to do. That's what we've empowered, been empowered for. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to Jesus everywhere until He returns. Don't miss that today. Hear that call. If you're wondering who you are, and you're wondering what your life is all about, if you're wondering why would God ever save me, why would he bring me into reconciled relationship with him, if you're scratching for identity and purpose, hear it from Jesus Christ himself. You will be my witnesses. You will bear witness to a historic saving reality about me until I come back. That's your identity. That's your purpose as the people of God. And so given these words, let us move forward in evangelism as a church. Let us move forward, empowered by the Spirit, to bear witness to Jesus. That's what we're calling us to. And we're calling us to move forward with these gospel foundations and motives. We never want to assume the gospel. We never want to assume that you know and understand why these things are so. It is because of Christ's work. It's because what He's done for us. We know Him and the transforming power of the gospel. We know that. We know the brokenness and need in our world. We understand what's at stake. We know our calling. All that is our gospel foundation. And so we call you to move forward in evangelism with that gospel foundation that we've just laid for you. But we also want to call people to move forward not with just a gospel foundation, but to take a step forward in specific, I think simple, strategic actions. 
And we're intending as a leadership and a staff to, to continue to push and encourage all of us in this direction, albeit gently and yet strategically. And I think, if I can just be simple about it, I think our strategy needs to be more of some things and less of other things, if you can follow me on that. Our strategic actions need to be more prayerful, maybe, than they've ever been. Prayerful. We want to call the people of God at Renovation Church to a heightened sense of prayer when it comes to evangelism. Apart from me, you can do nothing, is what Jesus said. Right? It's the Spirit that bears witness to Christ. The regenerating work of God is a work of God by His Spirit. We cannot manufacture results. We cannot change human hearts. If there's anything that we've seen together over the last eight years, is that as much as we want to do something, no matter how much human effort we can put behind it, it doesn't necessarily mean that anything's going to happen as a result of it. It's only if God wants to work. God wants to move. And God loves to hear and respond to the prayers of His people. So I'm calling you to pray for people who do not know Jesus. Pray for them. Let me ask you a simple question. What's the one person in your life right now that you would say you're praying for that does not know Christ? That has not heard about the historic saving reality and has not been transformed by its power? Who are you praying for? Just give me one name. I don't, I don't want to over... Just give me one name and write it down. Write it down in the margin of your Bible. Write it down in your journal. Write it down on your phone. I don't care. Just write it down. Who are you praying for that is far from God? Because our strategy for witness must be more prayerful than it's ever been, or we will never see anything occur. Billy Graham, the OG evangelist himself, said this, Prayer is crucial in evangelism. Only God can change the heart of someone who is in rebellion against Him. No matter how logical our arguments or how fervent our appeals, our words will accomplish nothing unless God's Spirit prepares the way. Are we praying that God would save souls through our witness? Are we praying specifically for people in our lives? If not, let's move forward in prayer. Let's move forward. Secondly, and I think that's always been the case here, but I think we need to double down in this area, if I can use that word, is that our strategy for witness must be more relational. Relational. Relationships. We've always emphasized relationships when it comes to evangelism. Relationships. Who do you know? Who in your life is far from Jesus? Your neighbors. Your co-workers, your friends, your family members. Someone that God has broken you for, given their lostness and their far, the, how far they are from God. How blind they are to sin and its effects. I want you to take inventory of your relationships and begin to ask the question, who has God put, put in front of me in my spheres of influence? We use that language. Those are not accidents. God has sovereignly placed you 
in people's lives. You live where you live. You work where you work. Your last name is what it is because God in his sovereign wisdom said, Maisie family. That's you, Mike. Rabbit Run, that's your street, right? Onondaga County, that's where you, where you work. Man, I, a lot of people I work with need to get saved. I slipped into that one. They're like, Maisie, it's you, man. It's you. But where you work, where you live, your family, it's relationships. Relationships. Take inventory. Our strategy must be relational. People come to faith because relationships and those relationships leading to the proclamation of the gospel, right? Maybe to say it simply, if we've always said it, whatever God's going to do in the world, he's going to do through people. People. His spirit-empowered, word-proclaiming people. Very important characteristics. That's how God's going to work. I think our strategy for witness needs to be more compassionate. Can I get an amen for that? Compassion, mercy. You talk about shining bright in the world today. Have mercy and grace and gentleness and kindness willing to listen. I think we need to approach our communities and the people around us with a greater amount of compassion and grace and love for them. Willing to sacrifice, willing to give, willing to serve where needs are obvious and maybe even less obvious. Right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 9, which we saw a couple weeks ago? He looked at the crowds and he had compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. What characterizes your posture toward an unbelieving world? Is it anger? Frustration? Disgust? Or is it grace? Patience? Kindness? I think we need to be compassionate and understand how sin has wreaked such havoc on the world and people's lives. And understand that if it were not for the grace of God, that would be us. That would be us. And last, I think our strategy needs to always call for boldness. We need to be more bold. We need to speak up. It's amazing to me how bold people are about football teams. I don't know anybody like that, but I'm just saying. Um, It's amazing to me how bold people are about organic chicken, about non-GMO foods. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are in your face about chemicals in your chicken. They will start a confrontation about the antibiotics in your ground beef. They will literally go nuts on you. But Jesus, no thanks. Not interested. I don't want to upset anybody. Again, I don't think boldness equates to confrontation. It doesn't necessarily equate with being uh, kind of tough and harsh. I don't mean that. But I do think that we need to be uh, confident in the gospel and boldly proclaiming it in what we say. Right? So what, what happens to the church? Right? Persecution, uh, silence, please stop speaking in this name. And what did the church say in Acts chapter 4? Listen, we cannot help but testify to what we've seen and heard. We can't stop talking about Jesus. We can't. And what did they pray for as the place shook? Lord, give us boldness. 
We know that obstacles are going to come. We know that opposition is going to be fierce. We know that nobody wants to hear this message, but you know what? We believe that this message is real and it's true and it transforms people's lives. And we know that why we're here to bear witness to a reality that we saw and we just can't stop talking about it. This historic saving reality about Jesus. And call people to a response. J. Max Stiles emphasizes in his definition about evangelism, it's all that, teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade. That requires boldness, doesn't it? An aim to persuade. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, what does Paul say? We persuade others. Boldness. We know our, uh, our uh, Christ. We know our calling. We know our identity. And we know, we know, and trust that the Spirit of God is at work in the hearts of men, women, and children. And you know what? At one of these points, God is going to do a miracle and maybe the most uh, 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 opposing person in your life and save them and drop the scales from their eyes. Do you believe that? We see that in Paul in Acts chapter 9. Give us boldness. Maybe our faithful, compassionate, bold, prayerful uh, strategy will actually lead to the saving of those who are most opposed to us. Do we believe that? Or are they too far gone? That's our strategy. I'm going to make two quick points as fast as I can. I think our strategy needs to be less programmatic. And I mean that in a traditional sense. We put all of our eggs in a particular program at church historically. Hey, if we want to reach people, we got to have the Alpha Course. We got to have VBS. We got to have revival tent meetings. We got to have Billy Graham Crusades. We got to have the Jesus video. If you don't have those programs pushed and running in your church, ain't nobody getting saved. Those things are good. I'm not even saying don't use those things. I'm just saying that we got to think less programmatic about our strategy. If we want to think programmatic, think about the things we just talked about, that the program of God is the people of God who are empowered by the Spirit and who proclaim the word, the gospel. People are our program. Don't miss that. We don't put our eggs in any basket other than your words in your life mingled with the people of this world. You are our program for evangelism. And it's our calling to equip Christ's people to live faithful lives of worship. Why? So that as they interact with an unbelieving world, they will give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. That's what it's all about. That's why we're here. Some of our OG rental people are like, oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's why we're here. That's why we left the comforts of a church we love. In 2013, because we believe that God wanted to do a mighty work in the northern suburbs of this county. And it was about every man, woman, and child. It's about what you see on the map back there. We're called to be mobilizing all of Christ's people for the evangelization of a geography. That the, the 90,000 people that are in these five zip codes across the northern suburbs, that they need an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. That the 10,000 people that live within a mile of this building, they need to be prayed for. We need to initiate relationship with them. So we need to have random acts of compassion, whatever you want to call it. And we need to be bold in our proclamation because that's why we've been sent here. That's why we've been sent here. 
And imagine if every 90, all of our 90 members, right? Imagine if every one of them took seriously that responsibility to be a witness and to bear witness to the historic saving reality about Jesus. Imagine what God could do in our world, in our communities, and in the lives of the people that are far from it. Could you imagine? We're on year eight. That's our vision. That's our mission. And it's based on these things. We need to be less programmatic in more thinking, motivating and equipping every man, woman, and child to reach every man, woman, and child. Not one of you is indispensable to the mission. Not one of you is is separated out and not called and empowered to this very task. Every follower of Jesus is an evangelist, a witness. Let's do it. Let's move forward. And I know I could be stepping on a landmine here, but I think it needs to be said. Our strategy for witness must be less political. Must be less political. Now, that does not mean that political realities are irrelevant to us. That's not what I'm saying. It does not mean that we are to disengage from the political realm. That's not what that means. It just means that when it comes to bearing witness to a historic saving reality about Jesus, that our primary message is not necessarily a political one. That's what it means. It does not mean that some political ideology becomes almost merged and meshed in with the reality of Christ and his kingdom, and therefore equated with those things. And therefore, we think that bearing witness to Jesus is saying, is, is protesting about a particular reality in our world and demanding some sort of political change. We know that change comes by the Spirit in the human heart, primarily. We know that. And before I get in trouble, I'm just going to quote D.A. Carson. But I think it's prophetic. And it was said 15 years ago. Listen to what he says. When you're busy hating everybody and denouncing everybody and seeking political solutions to everything, it's very difficult to evangelize, isn't it? It's very hard to be compassionate, to look on the crowds as though they are sheep without a shepherd. Very hard to look on them like that when they're taking away my heritage. Yet at the same time, because it's a democracy, there are things we ought to be doing to draw the line here and there, even if you understand the laws, don't finally engender justice. He's saying, listen, engage politically, right? But then he says this, they might preserve it for a while, but finally, they're all broken. And you have to change the laws. There are things we ought to be doing. There are faithful things we ought to be doing. But at the end of the day, if you can't do it with compassion and gently and leave the doors open for evangelism, boy, you destroy everything. I think one of the devil's tactics with respect to the church on the right today, hear that, he's definitely critiquing the right today, is to make them hate everybody else. That at the end of the day, they can't be believed anywhere, not even in the proclamation of the gospel. Let's not underestimate those political arguments and conversations, either having coffee or some haymakers on Facebook. Let's not think that that doesn't have an impact on our ability to bear witness to a historic saving reality about Jesus. It does. It does. Let us be careful. Right? 
They are watching every post. The world is watching you. You're going you're gonna to cause unnecessary division possibly in some areas and they're going to glom you in with some particular group and they're going to shut you down and have a cold heart to anything that you'll ever say about Jesus Christ. Let us be careful. Let us not have a witnessing strategy that is primarily political. We move forward with hopeful expectation, don't we? Let's not forget where we are. Jesus is returning. And let's not forget what God is doing. He's saving people across the globe. That the Spirit of God is bearing witness. And the church has borne witness and continues to do so. And the gospel is spreading from here to the ends of the earth. And we trust that the Spirit will continue to do that. And let's keep it, while we're dealing with a very difficult time, let's not lose hope. Let's not give up, right? Let's continue to move forward in evangelism, empowered by the Spirit to bear witness to Jesus everywhere until He returns. Renovation Church, move forward in evangelism. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come to you fully dependent. We thank you for your grace, your provision, the Spirit to be in us, to work through us. We praise you that this congregation is here. You've placed it here, 13212. You've brought these wonderful people to be a part of our fellowship. We pray that even in the midst of this day, that every follower of Jesus here would know the redemptive moment in which they live and the power that they've been given to live faithfully, to bear witness to the historic saving reality about Jesus Christ. I pray that they would even now be filled with the Spirit, that you would inspire us, that you'd motivate us, that you'd send us out into this harvest field, that as we go, that we would be prayerful that we would be relational, compassionate, and bold. And in the fruit of that would be men, women, and children coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Revive us, O God, in this. And revive our community. We seek these things for your glory and your glory alone. May all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.